Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Guardians. As always, I am your host, Amari McPherson. And with me this week, I am I have the pleasure to be joined by Quincy Wheeler of a couple of things, actually, from Guardians Fancast. And you write for Cover the Corner as well. So you, you're well plugged in with, with Guardians and Guardians Twitter, of course. We all know how ridiculous they can be sometimes. But uh, <laughs> just viewing your tweets, I, I see what your opinions are. And I, I can't lie. I I pretty much agree with what you're saying because they can be ridiculous. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I just, it's just Twitter's just fun to me. Uh, people take it seriously sometimes, but it's fun and it's fun to have back and forth. Uh, so I enjoy it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we can get started with uh, last night's win in Kansas City. They win two to one. Uh, almost lost that game. That would not have been a good thing for Guardians Twitter. Almost blowing it. A Gavin Williams masterpiece, if you will, throws seven shutout innings, allows one hit. Uh, so I just wanted to get your opinions on Gavin Williams' second start because uh, between the Royals and the Oakland A's, I mean, both are bad teams. But even last episode, I said, you know, those guys are professionals too. It's not like they don't have any wins. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you saw out of Gavin Williams and his improvement from start one to start two. Yeah, I, I you know, part of it, might be facing the Royals, but I guess we should all admit that the Royals are pretty terrible. So that's part of it, but he definitely looked more comfortable, which you'd expect after your first start uh, had control, which, you know, I, it, I control isn't necessarily affected by the quality of your opponents. So that's, that's good to see that he seemed like he had everything lined up the way it should be. I know a lot of people pointed out that he didn't have his best velocity that we've seen um, in triple a, uh, and he's still dominated, so that's great to see. And I, I would guess that part of that probably is him coming in saying, all right, I'm really going to focus in on trying to get these pitches to go where I want rather than just really letting loose and going you know, full bore. And uh, it worked, and he looked great. Can't argue with seven innings and no runs, one hit, one walk. Uh, let's have that happen every time out. I think we saw what everybody's excited about with Gavin Williams. Yeah, and if – the schedule, if I'm in my head, um, I think his next projected start would be against Atlanta, I think. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he can carry that momentum that he has over the first two you know, starts, especially this one, into that one because we're talking about this weak division and how we are only a half game back, and we'll get into that here in a second. But um, potentially taking the division lead and then you're going against a team like Atlanta, you definitely don't want to uh, poop the bed pretty much. And, you know, now all of a sudden you're back in second place, but we'll get into that yeah. in a second. You're right. That a series with the Royals, you absolutely have to win a series with the Royals and starting off with a loss would have been scary. Very scary. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, it just goes back to the whole no offense thing where our pitching has been okay. And then the offense just struggles to get any run support for any pitcher. But luckily, yeah. well, Brandon yeah. came through. For some reason, it just really seems like those guys like Singer who don't really have much special, who can't really top out over 92 miles an hour, give them fits. And then they face guys that hit 95, 96. And not like some of those guys will dominate 
the lineup just like the dominating lineup, but it seems like they have more success against the guys that have higher velocity. Yeah, it's weird because I always say it seems like the guys that they should dominate always make them look like Cy Young Award winners, and uh, it, it's really just unexplainable. But like I said, luckily Will Brennan came through, uh, mm-hmm. hometown hero, hit the double down the line, scored two. We get the win. But uh, I wanted to ask you about Bo Naylor because he threw out two runners yesterday and uh, that amazing 360 catch and throw oh, uh, yeah. to have Lopez at second base. Um, do you think that's kind of like evidence of his defensive abilities? And we'll get to his offense here, but we all know that he's a work in progress behind the plate and he seems to be doing a decent job so far. Um, definitely an improvement over Zanino. Um, but what do you think out of that? And and do you think he could, you know, continue that improvement behind the plate? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that they're going to be bumps in the road with Bo. Uh, but even reading between the lines and what Chernoff and Antonetti said when asked about Bo Naylor, I, I don't know that they necessarily had huge concerns as far as his defense in terms of being able to throw guys out when it comes down to it. That was something they mentioned that the statistics weren't great there for a while, but he's always had a cannon that he even worked on to getting the an even better arm than it was. And, uh, so I think when you have the ability to throw like he does, you're probably going to be all right handling the running game as much as you can. And Trevor Stefan doesn't give anyone a chance to throw runners out. He just absolutely doesn't know how to throw, hold a runner, which is fine for relievers. Most of the time that's fine. So the fact that he was able to make it work there on a blown pitch out, uh, was very impressive. And, uh, and I think, I think it's just one of those things. You'll continue to see him improve. He'll, he's a work in progress defensively. He's not a finished product, but you'll continue to see him improve. I think you can see that he's a solid game caller. I think he's been good when he's been in there, like setting up a game strategy with the pitchers and working through that with them. Um, and we'll see more of that as time goes on. He'll get better at framing. It's kind of hard to say early on how good he is at framing, but he'll get better with that over time, working with Sandy Alomar and all those other guys up there. So it's just really exciting to see him start to take those steps that he'll continue taking. Yeah, they were talking about it in the broadcast yesterday, uh, working about his his footwork and and getting the transfer from his glove to his hand to, to get the ball out. But like you were saying, he definitely has a cannon, which can make up for any – uh, slow times from the pitcher. Um, we all know that Cam Gallagher is, you know, the defensive wizard behind the plate, but his offense isn't there. And so far, Bo Naylor's offense hasn't been there. Uh, over the weekend, he did manage to get his first career multi-hit game. So that was uh, a good sign of life from the plate. Uh, but do you think he could be turning around? Hopefully he struggled last night, but uh, as someone who, you know, they project to be an everyday catcher, do you think that his offense is going to turn it around eventually? Yeah, I do. I think it probably will take a little a little longer. Like, for example, if you think about it, when he first got called up to double A, he was 21 years old and he put up a 69 WRC plus, which is about 30 percent below what an average double A hitter hits. And then the next year that he was there, he put up a 151 WRC plus. Uh, so it just take him a little while to get to the level. And he actually did very well in AAA, but he's a 23-year-old in the majors. He's trying to get the idea of getting a pitching staff, um, managing a pitching staff and, and handling them and all the defensive responsibilities to go along with figuring out how to hit major league pitching. And so it's going to take him a little bit longer 
it, it may be a difficult season. I, I could see him putting up sort of Austin Hedges uh, type numbers at the plate and, and by the end of the year. And that's all right if he's really growing into the role and just kind of figuring hitters out. You know, projection systems say he'll probably hit around 80 to 90 WRC+, plus, which would feel incredible from the catcher position. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him more as that kind of player, but it probably won't come along until – August or September. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that would be great. We haven't had a consistent catcher since maybe what Carlos Santana. I mean, we had a couple of good years with yeah. Jan Gomes and Perez, yeah. but just as consistency, it hasn't been since Santana. And then he moved to first base. Yeah. Gomes probably had the best of those like defensive and hitting years, but, um, and then, and Roberto really came on strong at the end of 2016, making for a nice playoff run, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's just hard but I always try to remind people around baseball. I think the average catcher batting last year was 82 WRC plus for, so about 20% below an average major league hitter. Uh, so, you know, you're just not going to get a great hitter at catcher. You've got the potential to have a real solid hitter, maybe an average major league hitter in Bo. So it's it's worth giving him the time. It's just so important to remember that as a 23-year-old, a lot of times guys are just getting called up to AAA when they're 23. And especially as a catcher, it might take even longer than that. And here he is playing in the major, being asked now to be the primary starter. So you got to give him grace and and just take the wins where you see him. Like you said, got a couple singles the other day. Celebrate that. Made some amazing defensive plays uh, in this first game of the series against the Royals. Celebrate that and you know ride along with the ups and downs. Yeah, I had Zach on last week and he was preaching about patience with uh, Bo Naylor, and I couldn't agree more. Just because he is so young, like you said, he's only twenty three years old and. If you expect him to be the everyday player, you can't put all these expect expectations on him and think that he's going to be the savior when Mike Zanino obviously went out there and did nothing at the plate. But uh, moving on, we uh, talked about Guardians could take first place with Minnesota losing today uh, 3-0 to Atlanta Braves. Um, before we get into that, I do want to kind of ask you about two tweets that you tweeted today just to not question them, but if you could explain them for anybody listening, because I thought they were great points that you were trying to make. So I'm going to ask you about one and then I'll get into another one later. So there is one from four hours ago that you tweeted. If the guardians take over first place this week, I am vainly hoping guardians Twitter will be cool about it. A long season of play out and the guardians aren't a good team remains to be seen if they will be. And you said you have arrogant fans or arrogant tweets from twins fans bookmarked for <laughs> September if needed. So go ahead and explain that. Oh, it's always it's always fun to bookmark a fun tweet from reactionary people from any side. Uh, and then and then I like to it's it's great when people I just love it when people respond with a sense of humor. I try to have a sense of humor about it and never degrade anybody. So I'm looking forward to having some fun back and forth with Twins fans if the Guardians win the division. And I'm sure that there are a lot of Twins fans that have some fun Guardians fans tweets marked that they'll uh, go back and forth. And that's a great thing about social media when people don't take it too seriously. Uh, they can uh, have a chance to go back and forth and have fun. So I guess I, I just think that the season's so long. The season has a lot of ups and downs. So uh, we, sh you know, the Guardians may take the lead this week. They've had they have a pretty favorable schedule. Games against the Braves will be tough, but pretty favorable schedule leading up to the All Star break, where they could have themselves a division lead. And 
it, it's important for us to remember that there's still a long way to go in the season, and the team has some real problems they have to solve in terms of the offense. Pitching's looking pretty good. Just got to manage those rookie innings and go through the ups and downs of rookies. But the offense has to improve if this team wants to make a playoff run and probably has to improve if they want to win the division. The division's so bad that they might be able to be the, the worst offense in baseball or one of the worst offenses in baseball and still win the division if the pitching is good. But we shouldn't be thrilled about that because you're not going to make a long run in the playoffs barring some kind of miracle if the offense doesn't improve. So I guess that's kind of what I was trying to communicate. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the division as a whole? Because as we know, it isn't a very good division. It's really the worst division in baseball. And so even if the Guardians were to win, I mean, it's very possible that they would have a losing record in doing so. And I feel like, you know, that's not necessarily something to hang your hat on, but I guess first place is first place. Yeah. It's a great, a great issue to think about Amari, because I I think that, it is probably wise to have the perspective of take as many bites at the apple as you can in terms of the playoffs, like just make the playoffs and see what happens because anything can happen in a short series. You know, the, the A's swept the Braves earlier this year. The A's are so much worse than the Braves. The Braves are such a great team. Anything can happen in a short series. And at the same time that you can admit that we should also admit that it is very hard to advance in the playoffs if a couple things are off. And I always try to look, uh, you know, basically teams that are that win the World Series almost always are top uh, top half offensive teams. If you look at WRC plus, like an overall uh, offensive metric, they're all, they're almost always in that top half. If they're not, they're close to it. So if the Guardians are going in the playoffs as like 27th in the league in WRC+, plus, it's so unlikely that they're going to make the World Series. The other side of it is if they had a really good offense, but their pitching wasn't very good, and especially if their pitching wasn't able to strike people out and were mostly reliant on trying to get guys to hit the ball at their fielders, uh, then I would also say that's probably not a good recipe for success. The Guardians have pretty solid pitching. They have some guys who can get some strikeouts. They have a great bullpen. So that makes me think they could go on a run. It's possible pitching-wise, but they've got to find more homers. they got to find more offense if they're going to make a sustained run. If they can win the division, great. Let's give it a shot, but don't sacrifice. When you're looking at the trade deadline, don't sacrifice trying to win this division if you can get a true upgrade to help you with the offensive issues. Yeah, and let's hope that turnaround hopefully started last night. And then game two is tonight. Logan Allen will be pitching. Uh, And before we get into that, I'm going to ask you about that second tweet. So you tweeted, you think that the lineup tonight should show us that the front office is pretty heavily involved in the lineups that we see. You said that Marlo Hale, the bench coach, isn't just coming up with this off the top of his head. If the front office wanted a change, they'd implement it here. Yeah, so and I've had some people say, well, they're not going to do it the first night that Tito is off and get well soon. Tito hopefully rejoins the team. But I know a lot of the debate is how much of the lineups does Tito set and how much does the front office set? And I really think they're both heavily involved in the lineups. I think that you know Tito has the ability to change some things. He's got the ability to make in-game moves as he sees fit. 
But I suspect from everything that I've heard from reporters that the front office and Tito really sit down and look at the lineups. So when we see Ahmed Rosario, who is has his limitations as a hitter and isn't a good defensive shortstop, when we see Miles Straw, who is the worst qualified major league hitter for the past two years, in the lineup every night, we shouldn't say, oh, darn it, Tito again, you know, or oh, DeMarlo Hale did it again. This is the front office wants these things, and I think they want these things because, one, uh, they're, the only way to get the value that you need out of Ahmed Rosario is to play him every day and hope that the defense regresses in the right direction, hope that his offense comes back to historical norms, which will make for a pretty hot month of July and August, and probably it will because he usually does hit pretty well when the temperatures are higher. And for Straw, they're just hoping that his glove compensates for the fact that he just can't hit. And his glove is pretty great, so that's a possibility. In Kansas City, the outfields are so huge. If they were going to make a move from Straw being a starter, it probably wouldn't happen in in Kansas City because they want him to be out there trying to catch every line drive hitting the gap. So I just think that we need to remember it's probably not just the manager when we see a lineup. It's a whole team effort. Yeah, uh, very good point, because I see, you know, we were mentioning Guardians Twitter and you do see a lot of things about Tito and the lineup and everything like that. And I mean, crazily, even some people think he should be fired, which I downright disagree with. Um, But yeah, you make a great point. But uh, moving on to game two, like we were talking about, Logan Allen will be getting the start. Uh, Just kind of want to get your preview on game two against the Royals. Obviously, they're a bad team. Uh, The rookie Logan Allen started. I think that between him and Bybee, I think that maybe he's kind of been the more consistent pitcher. I do like both for sure. Um, and Bybee was pretty decent his last time out. But what do you see out of Allen tonight? And who do you think wins game two? Yeah, good question, Amari. Uh, uh, Allen, uh, you know, the problem, of course, is that he doesn't have quite the margin for error that Bybee does. Bybee can walk a few guys, but then get a strikeout when he needs to. And Allen doesn't quite have that same ability because he doesn't have the velocity that Bybee has. And um, so that's, that's important to remember the last couple of times Allen has struggled a little bit with control and then allowed some pretty hard hits. I think that tonight will be a good chance for him to get back on track against a bad lineup. Just keep him off balance with your off speed stuff. He's got a good changeup, got a good sweeper. Just keep, you know, be, be consistent with those pitches, know when to throw your, uh, fastballs and with Bo Naylor on the uh, behind the dish tonight. Hopefully tonight will be a good chance for both of them who've worked together for a good amount of time now to say, okay, let's put together a good game plan against these guys and keep them off balance. You know, use that fastball in the right spots. Don't let it hang up there where guys can get a hold of it. It's all about these rookie pitchers. It's all just about trying to stay ahead of the adjustments that major leaguers are making to you. And um, and Alan Smart. Both smart, so I imagine they'll do pretty well. I, I think you should see a, a good performance from Allen tonight. Wouldn't be surprised to see the Royals get a hold of one, maybe get a couple doubles, maybe get a homer, maybe score a couple runs. But hopefully the Guardians can score a couple runs and and uh, and make it one of those games where they score more than three runs. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, we all know the we all know the magic number is four, but for some reason yeah. they just struggle to get there. But yeah. I do want to ask you about. A six-man rotation, possibly. Um, I was listening to the radio earlier today. 
Uh, I don't know how much credence goes into this report, but I heard something that they may experiment with a six man rotation for at least one turn of the rotation. Uh, and with three rookies in your in, in your rotation and Kyle Cronchel coming back, obviously, uh, what are your opinions on a six man rotation? Because for me personally, I think it could work. And it'll do a good job at limiting these innings for these rookie pitchers who at some point have to not pitch to preserve their arms. But what do you think for that? Do you think that could work? Yeah, that, I mean, one time through, it'll definitely work. If they were to say to me, oh, we want to try it for the future, I wouldn't object. Uh, I think the problem is that you have guys who hold, their whole careers have mostly worked on four days rest. And it's not that they don't occasionally get five days during the season because they do. But when you ask them to permanently change those routines, you probably are risking there being some injury risk, there being some change to routine can be troubling for guys rhythm-wise. So I imagine they won't try a six-man rotation more than once through. Once you get through this this time through the six-man rotation, the next time through you'll see them either whether somebody has maybe like – Quantrill said that he could have pitched, but it was just good to have some time off to get his shoulder where he wanted it to be. Could be one of these guys has the same thing where they're like, oh, I've got a little nagging thing. And they're like, well, all right, we'll get your, you know, a little nagging <laughs> arm or, or elbow thing, or hopefully not elbow arm or shoulder thing. Uh, we'll give you just a little time on the injured list and then we'll have Quantrill fill in those innings. The other thing that they could do is just, Pick one of your rookie guys, probably not Williams since he just came up, so it would be Bobby or Allen, and send them down to Columbus for a little bit just purely for managing innings because in Columbus they don't have to pitch a certain amount. You don't really care. You know, they could pitch two or three innings and call it a day. They can In Columbus they have, you know, that those six days uh, where they can have that kind of six-man rotation set up in terms of that constant off day on Mondays. So you can get your guys more rest in Columbus. So I, I could see them possibly doing that, saying Quantrill's got that spot in the rotation and Allen's going down for, you know, 15 days. And then uh, and then Bybee's going down for the next. And then after that, Williams does. So you take turns so that all those guys get a little bit of time off and then hopefully you have them for the end of the season. Uh, Twitter will go crazy if that happens, but if that's but it always does, and that's okay. It's always fun to see what people have to say, but um, but th if they're trying to manage innings, that would make sense to me. Right now, want to move on from pitching to the trade deadline. We mentioned it earlier. Wanted to get your opinion on what you think the Guardians may do at the trade deadline, whether they're buyers or sellers. Um, and of course, the Shane Bieber question is kind of the million dollar question of the season so far. Uh, do you think he gets moved? When do you think he gets moved? And if not, what other moves do you think the Guardians make to hopefully improve uh, in this week division? Yeah, man, what a what a great question. I, I, I imagine that the Guardians are probably going to do what they always do, which is say, here's the value that we have set on these players. If you meet that value, then we have a deal. If you don't take it or leave it, right? That's how they always do it. So I suspect that's it. Uh, if some team says, man, we really want Shane Bieber to lead our playoff rotation or be in the middle of our playoff rotation, and we are going to pay over market price for him, and we're going to be really motivated to get it done, then he might get moved. Uh, but then I think the Guardians will probably, and I say probably very much unsure, 
but I think they'll probably be aggressive in terms of trying to trade some of their middle infield depth for help in other areas. But, you know, is somebody going to say, oh, I want Brian Rocchio, so I'm going to give you Heston Kirstead from Baltimore? No, I mean, Baltimore doesn't need more middle infielders, so that's not going to happen. But, you know, is somebody going to say, oh, I really like your middle infielder, so I'll give you another valuable major league player for that middle infielder? I don't know that that's going to happen. So I think you probably are looking more about, you know, trading a Rocchio or trading an Angel Martinez or to a team that likes him. And then you're getting more of a guy who's like a high A prospect that, or double A prospect that the guardians like that they think they can work with and develop. And that's not going to excite anyone, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the kind of deal they make. Uh, But you know, that's not what I would do. I would probably be aggressive on trying to move Bieber, trying to get what you can for him, because I just don't think they have the offense that it takes to win a World Series. I hope they surprise me. I hope they make a playoff run with the offense that they have. Guys take steps forward. Guys advance and, and figure things out. No one will be happier than me, but I do think they probably need to be aggressive and not only you know put Bieber out there, but say, hey, what do you guys think? You know, what do teams think about Savali, uh, who only has a couple more years of control left? And then even to say, like, hey, we've got these great young pitchers from Bobby Allen and Williams and Cantillo, who's looked pretty darn good too, and say to a team, hey, would you like one of these pitchers for a really, really good slugging prospect or major league, young major leaguer that we can deal? Uh, if I were the team, I'd be open to that kind of thing. Obviously, don't want to trade Bobby or Williams if you can all avoid it. Don't want to trade Allen unless you have to. But they really need to address the slugging issue. So that's what I would try to do. But I don't expect that to be what the team would do. Now, in my notes, I put teardown, and I don't mean it quite literally. But do you think that they could possibly go in the other direction? And would you, uh, I guess, be okay with that, considering that it is a very young team? This isn't a really a team that's built to compete for a World Series. And they say, you know, they want to put out a, a competing team every year. But this simply just isn't one. Now, do you would you invite kind of a, a quasi teardown and just kind of build it back up next year with the young talent that you have and just let them play the year out? Yeah, that's it's interesting. You know, I don't, we know that the Guardians are never going to tear down completely, but in in like a, a hypothetical situation, I'm trying to think what they would do to tear down. I guess a tear down would probably be to say we don't really like the outfield setup we have, so we're going to be willing to trade Quan and or Brennan. Uh, we don't like our infield uh, full of slap hitters right now, so we're going to be willing to trade you know, multiple middle infield prospects that we have and obviously getting rid of any veterans with value. Like, I'm completely open for the team trading Ahmed Rosario, but I don't know that there's a big market for him out there because everybody can see that he's not playing well defensively. And so where are you going to play him when he's a shortstop who doesn't play a very good shortstop? It's it's tough to say, but obviously if they wanted to trade him. I would trade him. So I guess I would say, I don't think a chair down is good. I just think they have to reallocate resources that they have. They have some good middle infield, young middle infielders. Tyler Freeman is going to be an above average major league player. Arias has the potential to be above average to better than that. He has potential to be even more than that. Uh, Rocchio, I think when he finally figure things out a little bit of a tough stretch right now. I think he'll be an above average major league player. That's valuable, especially when you have guys like that that can all play good to 
elite defense at shortstop. So you need to reallocate some of that resources into guys who can hit the ball a country mile, you know, if possible. And the same way with pitching. You can never have too much pitching, but right now we have a lot of good young pitching. Probably makes sense to try to reallocate some of that into finding another dart to throw at the slugging board. And that's how I think about it. Now, you say you, you'd you invite a trade for either Ahmed Rosario or even Shade Bieber. Uh, if you were general manager, what would kind of be the first move that you would make to improve the team for at least this year, considering that it's a weak division? Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, if anybody wants Ahmed Rosario, I would probably <laughs> trade him. Uh, not because I don't like him. He has he has uses. He, he hits left-handed pitching, which is very much needed on this team but I would probably want to have the chance to see what I have in some of these shortstop prospects for the rest of the year so much that I'd make that move, uh, especially if you can get somebody that you think is interesting uh, for him, uh, even if they don't have it all together. But I think probably the big move that I would make, and again, there's a reason I'm not the general manager, so I know that they know more than I do, but I think that I would probably say I've got to figure out who likes Bieber the best and who is willing to give me something close to what I want for Bieber. It's probably not going to be exactly what I want. It's probably not going to solve all my problems. But like I said, it's going to give me another dart to throw at the slugging board problem. And maybe maybe I hit the middle. Maybe I get myself a little bit closer to the middle. But I got to have another couple darts to throw at that board because they're just not in the system. The only thing we have in the system is George Valera, who can't stay healthy, and Jan Kenzie Noel, who can't, you know, consistently make contact and Oscar Gonzalez who swings at everything. So those are your, basically your only help coming up for slugging. And there's just so many questions. You have to add yourself another one or two options to help you out with that issue in 2024 and 2025 and beyond. Now there's one name that you didn't bring up that a lot of people on guardians, Twitter, uh, mentioned that could be a hole in the lineup, and that's Josh Bell. So what are your opinions on Josh Bell, and do you think so far that the signing was worth it? Do you think it was a mistake? Would you bring him back next year, or wh what would you kind of do with Josh Bell right now? Well, it's a good question. If anybody wanted Josh Bell again, I would probably make a trade, but it probably would require the Guardians to take on a good portion of that contract. Uh, I think the Guardians fans need to adjust themselves to the fact that Bell's probably going to be here the rest of this year and next year. It's not the end of the world because his underlying metrics say that he should be hitting better than he is. He makes quality contact, just has to get that ball from going straight into the ground and lift it up a little bit. And when he does, he can hit the ball 435 feet or whatever he did the other day. So we just got to hope that happens. I have to say, I think sometimes he's kind of caught in between like yesterday. I mean, this first game of the Royal series, I was just so, I just get so ticked off when he just takes strike after strike. And that's because he's got a great eye. So when pitches are borderline, sometimes he'll take them and those pitches get called strikes. Sometimes, sometimes they are just barely strikes. And then, but then next time he's up, he'll swing at one that's in the dirt. And it's like, it just seems like he's caught in between my guess is that we probably at some point in the season will see Bell go on a hot streak and carry the team for a week or two uh, offensively. I know that people have been expecting that and hoping for that, and it hasn't happened yet, and that's disappointing. But he's still a lot better than Jose Abreu, which was the other name that the Guardians were looking at targeting in the offseason. So I guess we should just be thankful that we got Bell, who costs less and has been performing better than Jose Abreu has. Um, 
uh, Bell's been about league average. He should probably be above league average looking at expected stats. And Jose Abreu has been a worse hitter than Miles Straw. So that's that's at least if we look at it that way and we got Bell instead of Abreu, that's pretty good. (laughs) Now, I wanted to ask you one last thing before we wrap up, and that's uh, the outlook for for yourself over the next two series. Uh, After Kansas City, we go to Chicago to face the Cubs, and then we have a three-game set against the Atlanta Braves that we mentioned already. Now, what, uh, like I said, is your outlook for those series, and do you think that should – the Guardians take first place in the AL Central. Do you think that they could potentially build that lead over the next five to six games before they come back home? They could, yeah. I mean, obviously, the three-game series against the Braves is tough. The Braves are the best offense in baseball, um, and uh, their pitching's pretty darn good, too. But the Royals series are both very winnable, and the Cubs are not playing that well. They're kind of stuck in the middle like the Guardians are. So, you know, if you have your game together, you can maybe take two out of three from the Cubs. That'd be great. Uh, and if you can take all those series from the Royals, like if you win three out of four and they win two out of three in this series, uh, and then you can get one against the Braves. So then you're looking at eight wins uh, after the one last night. That's pretty good. So I think if I think especially if they somehow manage to get nine of the next so there's two games left in the Royals series. Next six games against the Royals, three games against the Cubs, three games against the uh, Braves. So if they get nine of those, then things are pretty exciting. I think at that point you're like, all right, okay, this is a team that's ready to really make some noise as far as the division goes. As far as the playoffs overall, I still want to see more offensive production, but that would be exciting to me. Gotcha. All right, Quincy, thank you for uh, hopping on and talking some Guardians baseball, of course. Thank you, Amari. Appreciate all you do and uh, always enjoy listening to your program. So thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Now, uh, I do want to let you uh, have the opportunity to kind of tell the audience where, you know, where they could find you. Those tweets that we mentioned already, maybe they could hop on your Twitter and, you know, comment, like, retweet, whatever. So uh, just go ahead and kind of tell people where they could find you. If people are interested in conversations on Twitter, I'm always happy to have those uh, at Quincy Wheeler one or at guardian fan cast. If you want to interact with the podcast account, mostly just use that to post the links to the episodes. You can get the Cleveland guardians fan cast on any of your major uh, podcast platforms. Do about three episodes a week. Try to talk to fans and other people that have uh, fun opinions in the community. I'll have to have Amari on there sometimes it's hard with the kids is, uh, to get the interviews set up that you want to, but we try to check in and have some fun. So make sure to check that out if you want to. And then like Amari says, I uh, do articles twice a week for covering the corner. So if you go to coveringthecorner.com, there's a fun little online community there where we do analysis of the team and offer daily recaps of the games and discussion forums. So those are good places to check out. Thanks for letting me share. Mm -hmm. all right everybody make sure you go follow quincy on twitter he is a great follow uh again this has been another episode of believe in guardians so for quincy i'm amari this has been another episode and we'll catch you next week You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.